All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you all for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd first like to thank our sponsor for this episode in Fly Racing. Fly Racing is aimed to provide customers with the very best in off-road performance products led by the revolutionary Formula S smart helmet. Fly Racing continues to push innovation in safety to new levels. Never before has style and technology blended together so seamlessly as the 2024 Fly Racing lineup. For more info, check out flyracing.com or your local Western Power Sports dealer. Follow at Fly Racing USA on social media and cheer for all of the Fly Racing riders in the Super Motocross World Championship. All right, welcome, Jason Thomas. Thanks for taking the time to join us, mate. How's life? How's life with Fly? And you're on the way to Detroit, aren't you? I am, yeah. I'm actually uh, I'm in Minneapolis for, uh, for those who would know where that is. Headed to Detroit. And uh, yeah, we'll get it on with round five and the first East Coast round. Yeah, mate. Awesome. How excited are you for it? And how exciting was A2 for you? Obviously, so much going on. You're still feeling the energy levels are high, mate. Obviously, the grind's well and truly on now, but everything's going in a good direction for you, mate. You're crushing the TV, and all things are good at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, it's all right. Um, we're definitely kind of into the groove now. Uh, make the swing east, and uh, well, we'll go back to go back west next week. But it, it definitely feels different. Like it just feels like we're kind of in the rhythm of the season now. Um, you don't have the the newness anymore, where you know everybody's just like everybody's smiling or whatever. Now it's it's not that everybody's not happy to be there. It's just different. Like now we feel like we're just kind of in the meat of the season, which is great. Um, you know, the East Coast rounds are, are completely different. It's cold. We'll be in a, in a dome for the first time. So that has a different feel to it. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a normal part of the, the yearly routine. But it definitely does have a little bit of a different atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. And probably the cold weather probably isn't going to be helping the vibe too much, but at least it's indoors, so it should be a pretty cool stadium. And obviously, I wanted to get your thoughts on AP, obviously returning to Detroit where the sort of disaster happened last year. You fast forward to now, he's got the red plate. He's the only man in the top five from every race. And looking at some numbers, Paul Pierce, he sent us our stats guy. Average finish through four rounds this year is 3.25. You go back to last year, it was seventh. And you go back to 22, it was 9.75. You know, it's so good, isn't it? It's so good to see AP doing well. And we haven't spoken since he won. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on AP and just what a legend he is and how good he is for the sport and how well he's going. Yeah, I mean, the sport is better when he's doing well. Uh, not that he's the star of the level of Tomac or Jet or anybody, but he just brings this very unique personality to it. Um, and there's there's truly nobody like him, right? So uh, there, there are a lot of guys that are very similar. You could say Cooper Webb and Eli Tomac kind of are, are quiet and they go about their business a certain way, but AP doesn't, you know, he's cowboy hats and just larger than life. Um, and you need that. You need a little bit of everything uh, to just attract different types of fans and, and bring different types of people into the sport. So for him to be doing this, having the red plate two weeks in a row and having it going into Detroit, where we all know what happened last year, it was, you know, one of the toughest moments of the year to kind of wrap your head around. You, everybody felt bad for him. Even if, I think even like Chase Sexton, who was the benefactor of winning that race, felt bad for him. Um, so to go back there and have this ready to unfold, I know that the production team has a feature built that's going to be really great. Um, it's kind of telling the story. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think they're going to fully kind of dive into this thing and deservedly so to, to have him doing this well, leading the championship going into the round where it all came apart last year. You know, it's, it's script writing at its best, you know, and, and the, the great part for us is it's all real life and there are, there are no scripts. 
Yeah, I know. He's just riding on the coattails of all the success at the moment and got some great momentum. And another man, I guess, the momentum is with is Cooper Webb. Obviously, he's really sort of got that confidence earlier than he usually does in a lot of ways, getting that win. Pretty ominous for his competitors, I guess, before we head east for this round at least. So I guess Cooper Webb's definitely one to fear for his competitors. Now he's sort of really flexing his muscles earlier than he might in other years. Yeah, he looks pretty good. Um, I, I think he gave us a pretty clear indication of that at A1, right? And if, if anybody watched that race and wasn't paying attention to how good he was that early, then that's a critical mistake. And it's probably on you because the the normal Cooper Webb game plan is, is pretty obvious, right? It's hang around early, start to get better. We move east. You know, the series gets kind of a, a, the, the part we're heading towards, and he starts to find his form. Like, that's what he does. It's what he's done in every championship he's won. It's what he's done in the championships he hasn't won. So for him to be this good in January, you know, exiting January now, I was wildly impressed. Um, and, and it should be a very scary thing for everybody else uh, because you have to assume that he's only going to get better from here. That's, that's all he's ever done. You know, he doesn't suffer the mid-season, late-season decline a la Ken Roxon. That, that's It's very much the opposite for Cooper Webb. So thinking about what he looked like in January – you should be very concerned what he looks like in April if you're Tomac, Jet, Chase Sexton, whoever fancies himself as champion. Um, so, yeah, Cooper Webb is, is on it. He gets his first win even with two two five scores. He still gets the overall win. And uh, things have turned around in a big hurry for him because let's remember after round two in San Francisco, he was sitting in eighth or ninth in points and 18 points out of the championship. We're all kind of saying like, hey, man, the riding's good, but the points – you know, could get away from you in a hurry here. Well, he's, he stemmed that and turned the tide back the other way really, really quickly. So kudos to him for kind of uh, knowing what the situation was and knowing the urgency and make it, and doing something about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Would you say the catalyst for that is just a combination of things, obviously the fitness, getting more familiar with the bike, because we were talking after Paris Supercross and it was sort of a wildly different situation. You know, Hunter Lawrence was outperforming him. I know it's only an exhibition race, but some of those early indicators still hold a little bit of weight. So just he's really knuckled down since then, hasn't he, mate? And is there any other sort of catalyst you'd point to with Webb's success? Or also when the gate drops, he's just an animal too, isn't he? Yeah, I think, you know, the struggles he had in the SMX playoffs last year and then furthering that with just he got smoked when in Paris, right? It wasn't really close. He was way behind those guys. I think those both of those events, you know, I know there's three playoff rounds, but you couple that dynamic and then the Paris event, I think it was a pretty big wake-up call for him. And he, you know, had those gone well, I don't think there would have been the sense of urgency to get a lot better physically, mentally, and the bike, uh, you know, in the, the six weeks they had before Anaheim won. So as challenging as it probably was and as frustrated as he probably was in those races, I give credit, I give his success now, I credit those races and the, and the frustration from them because it, it forced his hand. Like, I'm sure there were some really heavy meetings saying, hey, guys, we're nowhere close, and we, we have to figure this out in a big hurry. Um, but they certainly did, and he looks ready to, to fight for another championship here. Yeah, there's so many contenders all shaping up really well. And obviously his teammate Tomac sort of really gave another indicator of the progress he's making. And like you said in the past, it was unrealistic to think that he'd come out at A1 and just smash it. So he's building some nice momentum and that's another ominous sign for the competitors. So how excited are you to see a fully fit firing Tomac just mixing it up with those other guys? Because yeah, he's just a machine and once he gets going, he's pretty hard to stop too, isn't he? 
Yeah, and it's it's kind of the same story, you know, for Tomac as it is for Chase Sexton as it is for Jason Anderson. Like they're all showing us these flashes of brilliance, right? And you just kind of have to just figure out which one is the real one and, and how often they, are they going to be able to bring that form because Eli didn't do a whole lot, you know, before that race three. Chase Sexton kind of did everything he was going to do in race one and then struggled the rest of the way. And Jason Anderson was incredibly fast but could really only put it together in race one. So it was, I guess, race – or excuse me, race two. But race one was pretty good, I guess, with a second. Um but it's, it's like that. There's just so much parity. And I don't think that guys are necessarily riding poorly when they don't do well. I just think it, it is an indicator of the depth of the class. And if you don't do everything right, you don't get the start, you don't stay out of trouble, you have any sort of incident whatsoever, you're going to find yourself in eighth or ninth trying to fight back forward. Uh, there's just so many guys that are all in their best form. And that's not even talking about the guys that we didn't expect to really be in the fight, like a Justin Cooper or somebody like that who's causing these guys and, and giving them fits to try to get around and get back to the front. Yeah, I know. It's going to be so cool to see. And I guess another subplot that we'll be following is the Jason Anderson, Jet Lawrence, the things that have been going on there. Obviously, Anderson's looking very revitalized, refreshed. Obviously, you mentioned way back at the start when you were interviewing him those failed media days, he's happier on the bike. He's really feeling like he can push and get that flow and ride with that intensity and aggression, the jersey flapping out. just looks like the Jason of old, and especially the Jason from a couple of years ago. So how excited is seeing him doing what he's capable of? And obviously, how Jet reacts is another pretty cool thing to follow, obviously facing that adversity. The fans booing, he's obviously got that animosity towards him. And, you know, there's been so much said in the last week about him, and I guess he'll just be trying to keep his head down, let his racing do all the talking this weekend. Yeah, Jason's an interesting one because when things are right, uh, he can he can race with anybody. Doesn't matter at all um, who the who the competition is, what your name is on the back of your jersey. He can go with him. And you look back at 2022, um, if not for a, a few mistakes, he could could have been champion in 2022 again. That which would have been three for him. Um, so, I think Anderson is uh, he's a he's a special talent. Um, he's just a guy that, you know, he, he marches to the beat of his own drum and he, um, you know, it, it's a guy you don't want trouble with, which unfortunately Jet Lawrence has found because some of these guys, like you don't really want trouble with any of them, but some of them kind of thrive on it. You know, Anderson is one, Barsha is one. They have no problem with going that way. And it almost kind of lights a fire under them where I think Tomac and these other guys, like they're trying to avoid that. They don't want to get into a tit for tat. They don't want contact because they know that's not really their game. That's not what they specialize in. And the downsides of it are the penalties are very harsh on the downside of those things. You end up on the ground. Even if you're trying to take the guy out, you can end up crashing with them. We saw that with Jason Anderson and Malcolm Stewart a couple of years ago. We've seen that with Jason Anderson and Justin Barsha together. Um, it usually bites you eventually. You know, maybe you come out on top a few times, but eventually they're going to end up on the ground. And the points lost there are not worth any sort of upside that you would see from it. And, and I think that's why you've never seen Eli Tomac engage in those tactics, like ever. Like he just doesn't do it. And you saw his emotional reaction with Justin Barsha several years ago in Atlanta, where he's just screaming at him because he understands this is not how we go about winning. Like there's no upside of this. Like leave me out of this crap. He just doesn't want to do it. That is not how championships are won in my opinion. So I think jet wants no part of it either. Uh, the question will be, can he avoid it? You know, cause sometimes you don't have to want to be a part of it. You just get sucked into it anyway. So the, the two, I guess the two main points there, are, I know Jed doesn't want any part of it. He may not have a choice, 
And unfortunately for him, Jason Anderson's on his best form. So he's probably going to see him quite a bit in 2024. Yeah, they're all mixing it up. They're battling it up the front. It's, yeah, like you said, so much parity. And just a quick update, obviously a lot of fans hearing about the Lawrence Brothers, the VIP experience package, which we've spoke of. How's that been received? Obviously a few rounds in now. Truman's doing a great job sort of leading that venture, I guess. And you're a trailblazer in this area with the VIP experiences for the fans. And I guess it's elevating with the Lawrence Brothers and how the fans enjoying it and how's the industry sort of responded to it from your end? Yeah, it's cool for me to see um, where, you know, somebody's kind of really taken this to, I, th- I think, the best levels that it can be. Um, to your question on how is the industry and people receiving, it doesn't seem like people are receiving anything with Jet very good at the moment. Um, it's It's been a little rough for him. Uh, I, I truly do feel bad for him. And let me preface that by saying anyone feeling bad for a 20-year-old multimillionaire probably needs their head examined. But for me, it's more, I don't think he is deserving of some of the some of the criticism he's getting. If you want to say that he's overexposed and he made a bad decision with Anderson and he didn't handle it correctly emotionally or you know he, he should have been I, I guess more of an adult about it. Sure. Okay, fine. That that's okay. It's fair criticism. But some of the things I see said and mentioned and, and like people are so just out of control, impolite and rude and disrespectful that I I don't like any of that stuff and you very rarely see jet handle something wrong i've never seen him be truly like mean to anyone or rude to anyone so that's where i come off and i'm like really like there are lots of people in this world that do some really terrible things and you're gonna say like the worst things you can think of to this kid like i'm not saying you don't have to like him that's what sport is everybody has their favorite riders you can dislike him but some of the things i'm like that is so out of line to say to somebody I, you know, like, okay, you want to find somebody that's robbing people on the street and say that? Go for it. I'll probably back you up. But not to a kid who really hasn't done anything wrong, has spent his entire life trying to perfect his craft in this sport. I just I just disagree with, with some of the how the things go. But that's I guess that's what sports are in some things. And I'm sure if you looked at soccer or, or football or rugby, the, the same things go on. I guess I'm just closer to it. And mm. um, yeah, I don't, I, I know Jet, so I don't, I know he doesn't deserve some of these things. But He's going to be fine. You know, I, I think, and, and I've told his father and his agent, everybody, I, I think this is a little bit of a rite of passage to take this level of criticism. Uh, you look at Jeremy McGrath, he got a little bit of it, you know, not as much, but Ricky Carmichael certainly did. Um, and, and yeah, it just, it just happens. You know, the, the best guys in any sport, LeBron James gets booed all the time. People hate LeBron for as much as they hate him or excuse me, as they love him. That's just how things go. Um, and, and I also kind of, not that I am in a place to give advice, but I also tell him like, hey, if this was a lesser known rider, even a factory rider, but not on the superstar level of Jet, nobody would really care. Like, let this be an indicator to you of where Jet is in the sport and what he means to the sport because it has drawn such a big response from riders, fans, the industry, everybody. It just proves again what Jet means and who he is and probably where he's going in his career. So. Uh, it's kind of just one of those things where get some good results, stay out of trouble. You know, there there are just as many people or a lot more probably that love him than are angry about this stuff. And and usually the the people that are cheering you on are the loudest voices and they typically went out. 
Yeah, that's a really good perspective on the situation. And like you said, he'll just look to get a good start like he usually does. Haven't been with him of late, but it must be pretty interesting under that HRC awning. Obviously, Shimoda's underperforming at the moment. And, you know, those expectations aren't going well. And Hunter, he's obviously, you know, had his issues as well to start the season. He's a guy that cops a lot of criticism too. A lot of the fans don't like, you know, sometimes the way he comes across with that sort of more edgier personality, more blunt, more honest, which I personally, obviously, I'm an Aussie. We kind of like that. You know how it is, mate. Yeah, yeah. A lot of guys sort of, it doesn't rub people up the right way but he's a super nice bloke and all that too it's just he's got that little bit more competitive nature whereas Jet's a bit more sort of joking and laughing but how are they dealing with it all under there with Lars and obviously the PR and the individual riders PR the team PR there must be a lot going on for them mate sort of a lot of noise outside of the racing as well as on the track yeah I, I think you know Hunter has a lot more perspective than Jet you know I always joke that Jet's kind of 14 going on 20 where you know Hunter is I guess 30 going on 24, you know, it's it just very different. Like they're opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think that comes from the challenges they face at young ages and Hunter was expected to kind of lead the family and be that person, the provider and, and jet was just kind of along for the ride. So there's a lot of psychological aspects uh, at, at play there um, that I think really show up in their personalities. But I also think they understand, like if you're going to be in the public eye, you're going to be, you know, do the VIP programs and drive fancy cars. Like for instance, you know, jet had a Ferrari and, and Hunter had a Porsche at a two, right? If you're going to do those things, you have to be prepared for some backlash. They're going to be people that don't like that. And if you, if you can't handle their criticism, then maybe don't do those things. Don't lean into the fame. Don't lean into the promotional side of it, which I think Hunter gets it. I think he's just like, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. So give us your worst and we're here for it. Like, you know, we're going to do our thing. We know who we are, right? That's what I would hear Hunter saying is we know who we are. We don't really care who you think we are. Um, we're going to go about our business the same way we've always gone about it. So it, it's a different thing. Um, you could also say Hunter is nowhere near as much in the, in the spotlight as Jed is. He doesn't take as much of the, the blame or, and he doesn't get as much as the praise, you know, that swings both directions. Uh, so their experience is probably a little bit different. But, um, yeah, I think if you ask Jet when he's 24, 25, how this is going, he, he would have a very different response. And he would be able much more emotionally equipped to handle the things he's gone through this year so far. Yeah, certainly a lot to take on at that young age. And, yeah, just there's a lot going on. And, like, you look back when, you know, I was that age. And, yeah, I don't know how you just can't really know how you'd handle that because not many people, hardly any people are thrust into those situations and scenarios. So, you know, he's doing a pretty good job, all things considered. And another man I'd like to get your thoughts on is Prado. Obviously, he's finished that stint in America now. Obviously, in the Triple Crown, he was saying just how intense it was. But it's pretty cool to see him just sort of grow, had the heat race, top 10s getting more comfortable, just racing harder, battling, holding his own, doesn't mind passing some of those stars back. And he really made his presence felt. And I guess all things considered, pretty good job. And he's back to MXGP to defend that title. And you think if he had his choice, he'd probably like to stay on, wouldn't he? Yeah, I thought he did a good job. You know, it's kind of what I expected. Learn, get your feet wet. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was a fair ask for him to jump in and get podiums, especially when you look at the depth of this year. Uh, but I, I think it was mission accomplished. You know, he has teams chasing him. He has multiple offers from what I've heard for 2025 to come back to America. What more could you possibly ask for than that? Um, so everyone that I know that talked with him, dealt with him, all like him. He's personality's great. He was, he didn't come in with any sort of arrogance whatsoever. Like he truly was just here to learn and, and see how it was. I, I think he's a fan of American supercross. 
Um, so yeah, it was all around a great success. He leaves healthy, you know, however this MXGP season goes for him, that's okay. Like, I, I think it's not necessarily just riding out his contract. Um, but I think he accomplished the goal he set out to do, which was win the title last year. And he can go into this and, and race carefree, let it be what it's going to be. And then think about, you know, 2025 and, and starting this American kind of adventure, right. Which I think will last probably the rest of his career. I really do. Yeah, it's going to be so fascinating. There's obviously a lot of talk about that we might not see him on a KTM group bike. Obviously, probably a lot of teams would be very interested in him. There might be some seats opening up, no doubt. So do you see him staying within the Austrian framework there? Or do you think a lot of those other teams will be just making a play? And I guess it's good for him to push up the price. And, you know, you've got to make the most of it when you can to get those big deals, don't you? Yeah, I, I've heard uh, that Monster Energy Kawasaki has been sniffing around there. So we'll see, you know, they... Uh, Adam Cincerello is in a contract year, so we'll see how that all plays out. But I, I think they're interested. From what I've seen and heard, that could be a potential landing spot for him. But you have to imagine that the KTM group wants him as well, right? So I don't know how first right of refusals work or any of those things go. But for him, he's in high demand. And that's all you could ever really ask for. If, if multiple people want your services, that's a great place to be. And then he'll be able to decide what makes the most sense for him past that. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty cool one to watch play out. And those talks will be sort of ramping up very soon. And obviously, we probably won't know the results of them until a little bit down the line, but it'll be a good story to follow. And obviously, would love to get your thoughts on the 250 East. Obviously, so much chat about Deegan, the injury. And I guess for him, the aim will just be getting through. And I guess you see about the Lawrence having a lot of fanfare. I guess it's just next level with Deegan, isn't it, mate? Obviously, being American, he sort of stoked a little bit that us versus them at Washougal last year. So you're looking forward to the Deegan train to roll in, mate? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. You know, I I believe he was hurt far more than he's letting on. You know, his press conference, he basically said that he had a sprained wrist and he missed around a week of riding. I don't believe that to be true. Um, I think it was far more extensive than that. I think he missed considerable amount of time, which in the end, okay, it's gamesmanship. Um, I just question, is there really any upside to saying that? Because I don't, think that the riders believe that for a second you know it's such a small industry and he's too big of a star for people to not know what's going on with him and he rides on a big team right so everyone knew if he was riding or not like there's too many people around to keep a secret like that secret for long so to me I look at it and say okay well if you're not going to be your best wouldn't it make more sense to kind of let everybody know so if you get off to a slow start it doesn't seem like such a letdown and you're going to progress because okay yeah if you do great then everybody expected you to do great. But if you don't, this gives you a little bit of cover where you can say, yeah, well, it's going to take me a minute. I missed a lot of time. Just let me ease back into this thing. So I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure, you know, Brian or Hayden or somebody could tell me what the plan is and why this makes more sense than I'm the conclusions I'm coming to. But it was just kind of a curious decision on their part yeah it's a bit of a strange one we'll see how he goes i guess the evidence will be on the racetrack won't it and i guess looking at a fly racing guy obviously ansi how good's it going to be seeing him out there obviously you would have definitely heard all the rumors flying at the test track and he's obviously coming off a really strong base with the world supercross aussie supercross championships he's in a great place supercross only i guess he's pretty primed for a great sort of opener for him and just love to hear your thoughts on obviously the other international flavor with that class as well which is all through supercross obviously vial Fares, enzo Lopes and question marks about him with injury, but it's pretty cool seeing all these guys out there, isn't it? Yeah, Anstey's got a lot of hype. Um, I know he's riding really fast at the practice track. I hear it from endless amounts of people that have seen him or rode with him. Uh, the question will be can he put it all together, stay on two wheels, and execute on race day? Uh, that's the whole thing, right? Um, 
like Malcolm Stewart in December was the fastest guy around. Nobody could touch Malcolm. And then we've seen nothing literally from him in January. So it doesn't always equate out the way you think it's going to Um, race day is a completely different dynamic. Sometimes it does, but a lot of times it doesn't. So I'm high on Anthony coming in just because of the things I've heard, but I'm also acutely aware that it, it can go sideways, right? One mistake, one bad start. You try too hard because you think you're supposed to win um, and, and you can get rattled quickly. But yeah, there's a ton in this class to, to kind of look at. I think it's really wide open. Um, I think Tom Vial is a rider that we'll see how much he improves, but we know he's capable. He's an incredible rider. Um, does he take the next step and become who we think he can be? Does Cameron McAdoo make good on all the promise he's shown. Like he was that guy for the last few years, right? You look at, if you take Jet Lawrence out of last year and you take RJ Hampshire out of last year's West Coast, McAdoo was the guy, right? So he's got to have that in the back of his mind. Like I, on paper, I should be winning this East Coast series thing, especially if I've got an, uh, a wounded Hayden Deegan coming in. I think one of the most, you know, uh, biggest intrigue of this class also is Austin Forkner, you know, and, and it seems like he's been in this class for a decade and he damn sure almost has, but he's got 11 wins. He's come in a little bit under the radar, but if you talk to people that know he's at his best right now, like he is on form, he is ready. So if you were just in a vacuum, you'd say, yeah, Forkner should be ready to win this title, but man, everything that's gone on for the last few years, just like something's going to happen. The anvil's going to drop on him at any moment. And then we're going to be like, yep, Forkner should be great, but nope, there he is laying in the first turn or something, right? And, and I hate to put that juju on him. I don't mean to, but that's all we've seen. We've seen incredible speed, lots of promise, like he should be the guy, and then the other shoe drops, and we don't know what to make of it. Um, so, yeah, you just go down the list. There are a ton of riders like that where it's like, I can make a case for him. Sure, put me in front of a, a judge, and I have to build a case why they're going to be champ. Sure, no problem. But we know that racing is fickle that way and bad things are going to happen. There's going to be crashes. Guys are, it's just not going to pan out. Um, So that's what, but that's what makes racing great, right? If we knew what was going to happen and I could with a hundred percent accuracy, tell you what was going to happen, nobody would watch, you know, that's, that's not interesting at all. Totally agree. Well said. And I guess in those 250 classes, unpredictability is just amplified with the inexperience, the lack of maturity, just not being exposed to all those situations like the season vets are. So many question marks. And obviously, yeah, you throw guys like Pierce Brown and the Triumph Project, a pretty exciting debut for them, obviously. And, you know, you look at the Club MX team with Reynolds, J-Mart, Shock. There's just a lot of sort of cool storylines to follow. And they've been making some great strides, that Club MX guys there. So just to finish off any of those guys and teams, and I guess start with Triumph, is excitement building around that too. They've obviously just released some stuff that we've published on the website. And are you personally excited for it? It's good to have another manufacturer, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's fun to have all these new teams and, and new riders having opportunities, which for me is, is my favorite part of it is there's more jobs, right? There are more ways to kind of make a living in the sport that we love so much. Uh, but for club, you know, I don't know what Jeremy Martin's going to do. I, every time I watch him ride, I'm like, holy hell, is he going fast? But then I see him at the races and it's sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes upside down. You know, I, I don't know if that's ever going to change, right? We've seen it for so long and so many times in a row. Why would I think that's going to be any different? So I, the last time I really saw him with any sort of consistency would have been like the end of 20, 
uh, 18, I think, whenever he was doing the press conference from the airport and he was getting lots of podiums. That's like the last time I really saw him where he you could count on him being a podium guy. Um, I know he has a talent. We all know that, but he's getting older too. So what does that look like here on club in, in 2024? Uh, the Triumph team, m- way more questions than answers. Um, I've heard the power plant and the bike is the the highlight. They have a strong engine, which I would have considered to be difficult because you look at all the development that's gone on for the other teams in the, in the engine department. I thought that would be tough to get them on level, but I've heard that they have a really strong engine right out of the box, ready to go factory level. So that's, that's really encouraging because 250s, the chassis is – easier to get to work uh lighter bike it handles things kind of happen in slow motion compared to the 450 so that's a really promising uh aspect right out of the gate if if that engine can get a guy like Jalik swole who's an incredible starter if, he, if they can get him out front which he knows how to do that they'll get a lot of spotlight and a lot of buzz and talk about that motorcycle which is all they really want right they want the bike out front they want people talking about it they want it to be viewed as a competitive motorcycle right off the showroom floor so they can start selling units you know i don't think they expect jaleek to go win but if they can get a a good starter that's going to showcase that bike well job you know mission accomplished as far as i'm concerned at least in year one but yeah what a what a storied brand that's coming into motocross and we have more coming behind it ducati and these other teams are coming uh, but yeah, Triumph's kind of the first to show up and, uh, yeah, it's exciting. You know, look at Jeff Stanton, Ricky Carmichael, all these famous names are involved with this project. Um, they have a lot of potential to, to kind of shake things up. Yeah. Great insight. Well said. And just before I let you go, mate, any final thoughts on the racing, a couple of predictions and just how do you think the track's going to play out too? Well, I'm, I'm curious to see what the dirt's like. Uh, we'll get our first kind of look at it for press day tomorrow, but we haven't been to Detroit or in this area, you know, we used to race in Pontiac, which is about 30 to 45 minutes away from Detroit. We haven't been here this early in, you know, or I guess this late in the winter, whatever, however you want to view it, where it's this cold and the dirt should be this wet with this much snowfall and all these things, right? When, when we show up there in April, it's not such a big deal because we're in spring. They've had a chance to uncover the dirt. They haven't had any opportunity. So whatever the dirt is like under there, if it's still frozen, if it's had a, a lot of precipitation on it, that can make for a very ruddy racetrack. Um, I can remember times coming to Minneapolis where I'm sitting right now in February, and it was some of the ruddiest races we've ever had, where even on, like in the late practices, guys were rolling all three jumps of the triple because it was so ruddy. So I'm not saying that's what Saturday's going to be like. I'm just more curious to see what that dynamic is like because we typically aren't this far north or this far east uh, in February, that just doesn't typically happen. Um, so that could add a whole different wrinkle to the racing, you know, and you have to think that the Aaron Plessingers and the Cooper Webbs and the guys that ride that sort of condition will shine if that is the case. Um, so that'll be my first cue as to what to look for results wise is when I see that dirt and I start to imagine what it looks like at the 12 minute mark, the 15 minute mark of that main event. That's what's going to really tell me how that race is going to go. Yeah, it's going to be so cool. And yeah, thanks again for taking the time, mate. It's been a ripper podcast and obviously like to thank Fly Racing. Obviously, there's some pretty cool things on the horizon with Fly. Anything particularly coming on this weekend as well, mate? Uh, Not yet. So we, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. We have some projects in the works, um, but the big thing for us is is Chance Hymas making his East Coast debut. It's one of our marquee riders. Uh, And then uh, sometime in early March, we'll have a limited edition gear set coming out. So I'll have more information 
around the Daytona time frame for that. Um, can't give away too much, but yeah, we do have some really cool things that are planned. Uh, just yeah, we're we're still a few weeks out. Awesome, mate. Well, thanks again for taking the time and all the best for the weekend. Awesome to see you crushing it out there. Cool, man. Thanks. Appreciate it, Edward. See you, man. No worries. Have a good one.